Undercovered. Because some stories just need to be told. Others told more. A few told more fully. Or perhaps in a different way. If not in another light. Welcome to Conversation about some of the stuff that's just Undercovered. This is Undercovered, the podcast with Ben Kimpo. Please tell us a bit about the Order of Franciscan Missionaries. Okay. So first of all, that needs a correction. OFM does not stand for Order of Franciscan Missionaries. The M is not missionaries. It's an Order of Friars Minors, Order of Lesser Brothers. Very common, uh, very often people say that OFM means Order of Franciscan Missionaries, but that is not exact. Okay, so the, the origin of that is, of course, from St. Francis in uh, the 1300s. And when he decided to form a group of brothers, and they started very poorly, that's why they were called lesser brothers, in opposition to the monks, who were the major brothers, the bigger brothers, so to say. And so that is uh, very, very nice or very important to remember that the, the M in OFM does not stand for missionaries, but for minors, menores, friars, minors, lesser brothers. And uh, you got me there, Father. Thank you very much. And <laughs> we started with that number one lesson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that started with St. Francis, and he organized the group. In 1209, they received the permission from Innocent III to live that kind of life with a rule based exclusively on the Gospels. All right. Father, the Franciscans were the second religious order to make it to the Philippines after mm -hmm. the Augustinians, of course. So tell us about your order's arrival here. How did okay. the Franciscans come over to the Philippines? The, the Augustinians invited the Franciscans five years earlier. And so they were able to organize themselves in 1577. And in 15, yes, 1577, they left Spain. They traveled four months to Latin America. And from Latin America, they stayed a few months because they were 19 when they left Spain. And then eight died in the journey in the four months. For some reason, you know, they have an epidemic or whatever. And they died during the voyage. And then they arrived in Mexico. They stayed for a few months to learn how the Mexican friars were doing there because the Franciscans arrived in Mexico about 50 years earlier. And so they already had an experience of missionary work with the natives. And so afterwards, after a few months, they decided to continue to the Philippines. Since they were now reduced in number, six from the Mexican group joined them. And so now they were 15. And of course, they traveled another four months. They arrived in Cavite on July 1, 1578. And the next, uh, the next day, July 2nd, they arrived in Intramuros. Intramuros was not yet so developed at the time because 
they were there only since 1565, 1565, around that time. And of course, 1570, rather, Legaspi and one Augustinian continued on to Manila, 1570. That's why 1570 is considered the foundation year of Manila. And so when the Franciscans arrived there in 1578, that's only eight years since they arrived in Manila. And so they welcomed them. They were very happy. There were already 13 Augustinians in um, Intramuros at the time. Intramuros was not yet the kind of Intramuros that we have today. It would take centuries to build the walls, to build these structures there, and so on. So it was still a very primitive Intramuros. That's why they landed instead in Cavite, because it seemed that Cavite had a better harbor. And so they will continue to Intramuros the next day. And there, they started constructing their convento of uh, uh, wood, bamboo, and nipa. And after one month, August 1st, they transferred to their own house. For one month, they stayed with the Augustinians. And then after on August 1, August 2, 1578, they started in their own place. In their chapel was consecrated to St. Mary of the Angels, which is our mother church in Assisi. And with that, that is the first shrine in honor of the Blessed Mother in the Philippines, obviously. It was the first church in her honor. Where would it be in today's Intramuros, Father? First of all, the church was completely destroyed in the uh, liberation of 1945. And eventually, of course, the friars left Intramuros and uh, the property, I think, was sold. And uh, it is now where the Mapua Institute of Technology is. All right. So, so next time only, that I go there, yeah. that, I would say that, all right, that is where the Franciscans originally settled. That's right. That's right. The archipelago was divided for the different orders to evangelize. So mm -hmm. which part was assigned to the Franciscans? Well, first of all, let me stress that the Franciscans who came to the Philippines were not the same as the Franciscans of today. Myself. Okay, or the ones in Forbes or here in Cebu, they are they were from a different group of Franciscans called the Alcantarinos, Alcantarines, based on the they were living a Franciscan life, very reformed, very strict, very about poverty, about simplicity, about penance and everything else, founded by San Pedro Bautista. He was the reformer, San Pedro Bautista, fifteen fifty five. 1555 was the reform approved by Rome. And of course, he was Spaniard. So his reform was, was practiced mostly in Spain. And the friars who came here in the Philippines were Alcantarines, Alcantarinos, following that very strict Franciscan life according to the rule of St. Francis. That's very important. Because when you say Franciscans, you would think of us now the present Franciscans, or they might even think of Padre Damaso of uh, Noli Metangre, which is, of course, uh, very funny because uh, if you do that, Padre Damaso was an Alcantarino. 
So he belonged to that group of very strict Franciscans. And so anyway, so as soon as they arrived, they divided two by two, the, the, the priests. No? And remember, the command of Jesus was go two by two. And so Francis also told the friars, you follow the gospel. You go two by two. So immediately, after they had rested, I would suppose, they divided themselves. They already two went to the north, Ilocos and Pangasinan. Two went to uh, here in the Tagalog area, Laguna and uh, surrounding area. Another two went to Batangas and Mindoro. Another two went to uh, Panay and Cebu, Iloilo. And that, that way they divided. And then, you know, when you think about it, this is almost unbelievable considering the travel conditions of that time. How they were able to go so far, so fast, so soon. And then two years later, they all came back to Intramuros and had a meeting. This is in 1880, no 1880, sorry, 1580, 1580, two years after their arrival. So they had a meeting and they decided, how are we going to proceed with the evangelization? So they met and they decided, number one, we have to learn the native languages and evangelize using the native languages, not Spanish. We will not impose Spanish like they did in Mexico because they learned in Mexico that once they abolished the native languages and imposed Spanish, they did not learn the native culture. And so they said, okay, we must learn the native languages and evangelize using the native languages. That is the first. Second, they said, we should organize the natives into towns, into towns, because the natives were scattered. And so now he, Padre, uh, you mentioned uh, Padre um, Juan de Placencia. He is called the father of the reducciones. He was the one who initiated how to organize the natives into towns. The Jesuits did this in Latin America. But in the Philippines, it was the Franciscans because they came before the Jesuits. And so Juan de Placencia, of the first group, he was the one who orchestrated how this organization into towns would be done. Thirdly, the third decision was every town should have a school, a primary school for children. Well, of course, that was a way of learning the, were learning the native language. And in a way, it was also a way for the children to learn catechism. So it had both, both goals that were, would be achieved by the primary school. So that was, and then after that, they again broke up and went to the different places. But this time, they concentrated mostly in the Tagalog area, which is the province, Manila area, and then Rizal. At that time, it was called Morong, and then go to, Cavite, to, to Laguna, the whole of Laguna, all the way to Tayabas, and now it is called Quezon, and all the way to Bicol. 
including later on summer and later. So the whole south, southern Philippines was their um, area of evangelization. Batangas for a, for a short time, Cavite also. But once they were organized already with the other groups, then that was their main, main area. Tagalog area, Bicol, all the way down to Samar and Leyte. Father, let me, let me just back up a bit. All right, okay. so you, you arrived there upon the invitation of, of the Augustinians. That's right. And when you get here, do, do the Augustinians and the, and, and, uh, and, and, and the, the Franciscans uh, or the, the, you know, the, the friars at that, that point, uh, do they say, all right, this is where we Augustinians, uh, do they meet with each other and say, all right, this is where we will concentrate for the meantime, us Augustinians, and then uh, you, OF, you friars, you OFM, take that part, and of course, in coordination with, with, um, with uh, the government at, at that time? Or was that something which you just unilaterally decided? When, when mm-hmm. this whole division of, of the country, according to areas of focus for the evangelization, actually take place, Father? Okay, so that, that was the start, as I have mentioned, because there were only two groups at the time. So, of course, the Augustinians and the Franciscans, they decided, the, the Augustinians, we are working in this territory, you are going to work in the other territory, other places where we are not. Eventually, in 1582, they held the first Synod of Manila, with the first bishop of Manila, Domingo de Salazar, a, a Dominican. And so in that meeting, the Jesuits had arrived already. So now we have three groups, Augustinians, Franciscans, and Jesuits. They gathered together with this new bishop, uh, first bishop of Manila, and they, they asked, now how are they going to proceed? And the Franciscans presented their program. They said, we have this program, Excellency. First of all, we have to learn the native languages. Second, then we have to organize the towns. And third, the schools. And so it was favorable to the bishop. And so the bishop said, okay, let us all do that. That was the program then. That was followed by the three early groups. And then the groups that came later, the Dominicans in 1587, the same. They already have the program. So they have to go where the Franciscans were not, where the Jesuits were not, where the Augustinians were not. More or less, they were already spread out. And then in about six, the early part of the 1600s, the Augustinian recollects arrived. And then a little more division. And then the Hospitallers of St. John of the Cross, they arrived also again another, another assignment from them. But so, so I was telling that more or less around this time, they have already decided where the Franciscans would settle down and concentrate on their evangelization. Interesting uh, points that that uh, that you just brought up there. So, in a sense, you are well, pun in, no pun intended, but it's going to be there. You were mm-hmm. the fathers of urban planning or town planning in the sense of the Philippines. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. You can say that. Mm-hmm. All right. So, you use this term reductionis. So, you know, it's, it's a Hispanic term, but please tell us about the reducciones because I think you still, in many small towns and places, and, and 
I, I'm, I'm definitely, I am definitely that I've, I'm seeing, I've, I've seen this still, pretty much the, redu- the, the influence of the reductionists is still pretty much seen. Yes, you can see this in the old towns, perhaps even where, where we, uh, even our present towns, no, where you have the church, you have the municipio, you have the school around, you have the market, all around one plaza. There's a main, main plaza where the people would congregate, where they would have their celebrations. And then around the plaza, you have the church, the convento, you have the school, you have the municipio, you have the other, other the, the markets around there. And eventually, of course, little hospitals around there also. So that was the organization to facilitate because the natives were scattered in the, in the barangays, in the barrios. So this made them come down to the towns. That's why among the works of the Franciscans, they built bridges, roads, tunnels, everything to facilitate, to facilitate travel and commerce. Because if they now invited the people from the mountains to come down to sell their produce, to sell their whatever they harvest in a common market, then they have to have roads. They have to have bridges. And practically, the, the Franciscans started all of those in these places where they were. And the other groups already also, because they have this common program, they would meet, the, the, the groups would meet regularly, maybe once a year or every two years, and they would compare their, their work and they would, what, what is successful in the work of one group would be duplicated with the other groups because it works. And so that was, I, that was the common program. We copied from each other. In today's, link, in today's uh, management speak, you were sharing best practices. Exactly, exactly. Could not be otherwise. Because we were, we were proclaiming the same message. It is the gospel. And therefore, we cannot be divided because the gospel unites. And we have to show the people through our unity that this is the message that we should we should practice. This is Undercovered the Podcast with Ben Kimpo. If we were to go on a post-COVID uh, pilgrimage to these areas, will we still see remnants, marks okay. of, of your stay there? Yes. So in the 300 years or so until the Spanish-American War, that is 1898, from 1578 to 1898, the Franciscans have founded 233 towns. 233 towns with their churches, their conventos, their schools, and some of them even with a clinic or a hospital. So the, the towns, of course, still exist. If you go to Laguna, all the churches are there. You mentioned Tanay. Tanay was founded by the Franciscans, Morong. All these churches around the lake, all the towns around Laguna de Bay were founded by us. And uh, churches are there, of course. You can start from our side, from um, Morong, Pililla, down the line, Tanay, and around the lake. Uh, and then you come back to Los Baños and uh, 
so on. And all of these were have Franciscan churches that uh, still exist, founded by them. And then you go to Bicol, the same. When you are driving through the churches that you will find in Gumaca, in going all the way to Quezon, in Sariaya and so forth, down, then you will find again Franciscan traces. You, you, you have seen probably the damages in, uh, of a Typhoon Roli, and they showed pictures of churches that were destroyed. And immediately I said, that's ours because of the architecture, because our churches only have one steeple, one campanario, one campanario. That is typical Franciscan architecture for the church. In the churches in Laguna, you will find only one campanario. In the Augustinians and the Dominicans, they would have usually two campanarios, two church bells no? or, or steeples. Well, we already have one. And so that distinguished our churches. And you can find them all the way to Samar, Bicol, Samar, and the churches that we have founded. So they still exist. Father, I'm going to put you on the spot here. And, and some of your, uh, you know, some of your fellow Franciscans are probably going to, you know, they're probably going to rib you for this, but I'll ask you right now. If you yeah. were, if someone were to ask you, all right, Father, we'd love to go on a tour of, you know, we'd love to go on a historical pilgrimage on some of the old uh, heritage or heritage towns or, or some of the old Franciscan towns, let's put it that way. And we'd love to be able to see the best looking or the best preserved uh, churches in, in, the, in the original areas where, where you were at. Where would yes. you advise them to go you know, per, in each of the general areas that, that, that you, you described? Okay, um, the, best, the best areas, the best preserved churches, not really best preserved, but the, 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 the group that we have is, are the churches in Laguna, Laguna and Rizal. Every year when I was parish priest in Forbes during Lent, when we have Visita Iglesia, we would usually make a tour of these churches, visit these churches um, for one, one, one day. You know, we start in the morning, we start from either from Los Baños all the way around the lake and end up on the other side of Rizal. And we make a tour, you know? And we visit the churches in Paete, in Paquil, in Pangil, in Mahaihai. And uh, these are churches that are very well preserved, beautifully well preserved. And they are historical churches, Magdalena. And then of course, on the other side, Tanay, they have beautiful, preserved stations of the cross that, that you know, go back to Spanish times, statues, decorations, many things that can still be found from the Spanish era. And so the, I would suggest, even until today, they usually make tours of those churches. I'm not saying that the other churches are not good because aside from Laguna, during when I was parish priest, we would also make a tour of the churches in uh, Cavite and Batangas, which are also beautiful. These are already some of them by the Jesuits. And then we would go also a tour of the churches Bataan and Pampanga, which are not ours. And they also have beautiful churches because they would, at that time, they would follow more or less the same decorations, the same structures. And since 
This has been preserved. For example, the church of, um, of Betis in Pampanga and, and of course in other, other places, they are beautiful churches. They're not ours. And so when you ask about our Franciscan churches, then the recommendation is always around Laguna de Bay, around the lake. Start from Rizal or the other side and just go around. You have enough churches to see. Some of them, of course, are heritage churches and they cannot be touched anymore. Mahay Hai, Paete. Paete is particularly beautiful, but the other also Magdalena and so on. So Father, what... I'll, just, I'll just stretch that area. Um, okay, okay, so we, we've, we've got Laguna de Bay already covered, that, that area. How about uh, further down south? Um, at least in, in the... Um, down to Quezon and, and mm. just some examples of, of Franciscan churches that are still around okay. and worth going to uh, from Quezon to Bicol and, you know, down to Samaran and Leite, Father. Okay. Can, please. So, uh, in, in, in Quezon, we will, ha- we will have Candelaria, Candelaria, Quezon. Then we go to Sariaya, which is a church in honor of St. Francis. The, the church in Candelaria is uh, already in honor of San Pedro Bautista also, although it's called Candelaria. The town is Candelaria. And then you have, of course, uh, uh, Sariaya, the patron saint, St. Francis of Assisi. And then you go down to Lucena. Then you go down to Pagbilao. Then you go to all the way down. All the churches are still there. But it is, it is quite difficult to go on a tour because they go on a straight line. Well, around the lake, you can go around. Okay. But the churches are still there. And, uh, and then you go all the way to Bicol, of course, Naga, Naga and uh, uh, Daraga, Kamalik, that was, they were all damaged by, by, uh, by this typhoon, Role, uh, Roli. And you have in, in Daraga, you have the Kagsawa ruins. Have you heard of that? The ruins because of the eruption of the 1800s, 1811, I believe, around that time of Mayon. And the church was completely buried, except again, the Campanario. The one Campanario is standing. There is also a tourist spot there. And during this typhoon, that was again flooded with lahar and uh, rocks coming from the mountain. So all the churches along the way, going south, all the way to Sorsogon, were most of them built by the Franciscans. The Legaspi, Albay. In Albay, we still have the churches of Daraga, and over the hill, precisely when Kagsawa was buried by the volcanic eruption, they built the church of, of, of the Raga in a hill facing the volcano. There is a valley between them you know, so that it will no longer be uh, under the waters of Mayon in case there will be an eruption of the Lahar. Of the, uh, yes. and, and then all the way down to Samar already. You can find many churches in Samar, Northern Samar, Calvayog, Katarman. These are all still Franciscan churches. This is Undercover the Podcast with Ben Kimpo. I suppose that it's convenient that I got to speak to you, a Franciscan, first before before I'm, I'm uh, able to speak with an Augustinian about this. Uh, and you know, before the Augustinians, who actually came to the Philippines 13 years before uh, you did. 
Now, because one of the pioneering missionaries, uh, Franciscan missionaries here, Father Juan de Placencia, wrote about the customs of the Tagalogs, the Filipinos that he encountered then, the Tagalogs. So please tell us about this book, its background, and what it tells us about ourselves prior to the arrival of the Spanish. Okay, so, but first of all, let me stress that our way of evangelizing was holistic. We did not go only to the preaching side of the evangelization, which is what you can understand when you say evangelize, you think of, you know, giving sermons, giving homilies, preaching to the people. Our Franciscan way of doing was holistic. It included not just the spiritual aspect, not just preaching the word, but helping the person in all the aspects of his humanity. And so we built the first hospital in the Philippines, which became San Juan de Dios Hospital. We built San Lazaro Hospital and other five or six hospitals during the Spanish uh, conquest or the Spanish occupation. And so that was the concern of the Franciscans at the time, that they were not only about preaching the word, but they also had to take care. So they took care also of the, of the livelihood of the people. They, they brought plants from Mexico. They have, that's why I said they have the organized the towns so that they can help the, them grow as a community. And so they introduced, for example, wood carving and weaving in Laguna. Paete is famous for wood carving. They started that there. And of course, in Bicol, you have the abaca industry. They also brought that there. They developed the abaca industry for the people. They organized banks. You can imagine that Franciscans who are very strict with poverty would have rural banks. The, the, the bank still existed. The Monte de Piedad and Savings Bank, Mons Pietatis. Monte de Piedad and Savings Bank. And we just gave it up after, after the Second World War. We were the ones who built the Monte de Piedad. And it was for the benefit of the natives so that they can, um, they can take a loan for small loans for their livelihood, fishermen, farmers, and they would bring it back. You know, the, the bank lasted for about 100 years with us. It's just, it's just interesting that a an order which traces its roots to to mendicancy would mm-hmm. actually be founders of, 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 a, of a bank. But that is because of our love for the natives. Yes. To help to help promote their livelihood so that they will be able to continue with their their work and they will not have to suffer so much. For example, in the case of typhoons, when they would lose everything. And then they would have to start again. Then we have this rural bank. Actually, there were rural banks, not only in Monte de Piedad by us, but in the other towns as well. They, they spread this. In Latin America, we have many of this, actually. This started in Italy already, not us. So it was already a copy of how they were doing it in Italy and Latin America. And so, again, you were asking about Juan de Placencia. So he wrote the Costumbres de los Filipinos, uh, Tagalogs de Filipinas. De los Indios, Tagalog de Filipinas. So this is understandable, as I mentioned to you earlier, 
I mentioned earlier that if you do not learn the native languages, you cannot learn the culture of the people. So when the Placencia, when he learned the language of the Tagalogs, so he began to study their culture. So he wrote this culture of the Filipinos already in the 1980s, uh, 1580s, after much experience with the, with the, uh, with the um, Tagalogs. And here he, he explained to them their kind of life, their religion, the structure of government and everything else that, so this, it was not a book. It was really just a presentation of, you can still Google this no? And, and you can find the, the, this, this book, Costumbres, as a basis of practically everything that we know today about the early Filipinos. It is really a primary source of the customs of the Filipinos be, around the time the Spaniards came. And this is interesting, uh, Bong, because uh, when they, this, the, the Augustinians came in 1565, they were, of course, expecting that, you know, something had remained from what Magellan brought about the faith, that they were already more or less like Christians. But that did not happen because, as you said, we mentioned earlier, that when, they, when the Magellan and this group, they left, the Spaniards left in 1521 after Magellan was killed, they did not leave any catechesis or any, any somebody to take care of the ongoing formation of the natives regarding the faith. So when they came back in 1565, they had to start from zero. They found the statue of Santo Nino, which was probably used already as an idol by that time. This is already two or three generations after. And so when the Franciscans came, what they discovered in, 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 in the Tagalog region by Juan de Placencia must have been the same all over the islands because they would connect according to commerce, the trade, they were seafarers. So they would bring these things to the different islands. And so that was what Placencia did. He collected what he learned, he put them together, and the purpose of this bong was to help the Spanish authorities in dealing with the natives. Eventually, in 1593, 1590s there somewhere, it was made the first civil and penal code of the Philippines based on the writings of Juan de Placencia. Because, it's, because the, the writings of Placencia was explaining the structure of the government of the natives. And so when the, the, we decided in the 1590s, the, the government of Spain in the Philippines to prepare a civil and penal code then they copied from there the practices that the Filipinos were doing. Wow, it's fascinating. Now, Father Juan's, or Father Juan de Placencia's other notable work was the Doctrina Cristiana. Mm -hmm. so, Father, again, please tell us about this work. Okay. As, as, as we have already mentioned, the, the Franciscans were concentrated on the Tagalog region, Tagalog area. And so when they decided, when printing already was invented, printing was invented in, in the 1400s. And by the time the Spaniards came, uh, after the Council of Trent, the 
printing was already perfected more or less. So they have already printed the first book, the Bible, of course. And so now in the Philippines, they had already brought the printing press. The Dominicans had it. And so now they want to print the first book in the Philippines. And what should it be but the Catechism, the Doctrina Christiana? And where would they get the copy? Of course, the Franciscans were here. They had already written catechisms decades earlier, as soon as they arrived. As soon as they learned the Tagalog language, they started writing catechisms. And one, Oliver, is very prominent here. He wrote a whole explained catechism. Explained. It's really a voluminous work. He explained the truths of a faith, the practices, the doctrines, the Ten Commandments, the, oh, everything about our faith known at that time. He explained it all in Tagalog all in Tagalog. And this is in the 1860s, 1860s, uh, 1560s. And so this was, so when they wanted a book published in the Philippines, they took the catechism, at least they based the Doctrina Christiana on the catechism of uh, Juan de Plasencia, which was published, Tagalog on one side, Spanish on one side, written in the Latin alphabet, and in the native alphabet at the time also. So it was good for the Spaniards, the natives, the missionaries, and for the natives. They could read it because it was written also in their alphabet. So that is it, the first book published in the Philippines. Although it was published by the Dominicans, the basis of the Doctrina Christiana was the Catechism of Juan de Plasencia. You know, he's also credited as the founder of Tai Tai. Uh, mm -hmm. Your main house, however, in Quezon City seems to be dedicated to another Franciscan. Yes. Uh, so please tell us about him, his work in the Philippines, and how he eventually became a saint. Okay. Now we are talking of San Pedro Bautista. He came in 1584. 1584. Excuse me, 1581. Yes, 1581. He's the second batch. Second batch. 1575 was the first batch and the second group that came, 1581. And, and so Pedro Bautista was a musician, a, a professor in Spain, and he came and he was the one who organized music in the Philippines, the first choir, and he was assigned as parish priest in Lumbang, Laguna in 1584. He arrived in 1581, 1584. So he was already probably conversant in Tagalog. And there he organized the first choir. He organized the music festival because the other parishes around the lake already had music, already had choirs. And they would come together regularly in order to competition of different choirs. And he was the one who organized that. So eventually, Eventually, Pedro Bautista was uh, elected superior of the province of uh, the Franciscans in the Philippines that was set up in 1586, 1586. And then Pedro Bautista also was an Alcantarin. So he also practiced the form of life of the Alcantarin group of reformed Franciscans. So like 
the other groups, other Franciscans of the same group, they would retire to solitude periodically to pray. Contemplation was very important for them. As for all evangelization, prayer, the, the, the source of the strength and the energy of the missionary comes from prayer, comes from his relationship with God. Because how can we proclaim Christ if we, the missionary, do not know him? And so the Franciscan missionaries would periodically retire in solitude, as St. Francis was doing. St. Francis was a contemplative, but not in the idea of the contemplatives of today, that they are enclosed, like the poor players, like the, the ones in Guimaras, no? But he was a contemplative like Jesus Christ. He was concentrated to the Father, and yet at the same time, he would go healing people. He would go teaching people. So it was a combination of both. But so they were contemplatives in the sense of the apostles and Jesus Christ. Anyway, so that was what they did. They, Pedro Bautista asked the governor general at the time, De Vera, Santiago De Vera, for a place where he can start a hermitage. And Santiago De Vera said, okay, I will give you 250 hectares, 250 hectares in what is now Quezon City. And so this is in San Francisco del Monte. San Francisco del Monte, we still have the cave where San Pedro Bautista and the other Franciscans after or during and after, they would retire to do penance and be in solitude, praying, gathering strength, spiritual energy to resume their evangelization. And so there we have that first retreat house, we can say, the first formation house, because there the candidates for the Franciscan life, they, were, have, they have their house there. First mission, first seminary, practically. And so the 250 hectares, Pedro Bautista kept only two hectares for the convent, for the church. The rest he divided with the natives. And that is now where most part of Queso City. And so eventually the church was built as we have it now, we have an old church there. When I entered the order, we had our formation there in that place. And then this, the, after Vatican II, they enlarged the church, make it bigger because people, you know, the, the place was so crowded already to, for, the, for the small chapel that was there when I entered the order. And so after Vatican II, they enlarged the church. The present, the old, the old sanctuary became the old chapel, became the sanctuary of the new church. And it was extended to the north. And later, as, as we all know, in September of this year, it was made a minor basilica with, the, with Bishop Ongtioko doing the rites, the ceremonies. Father, it's, it's interesting. I mean, going, uh, talking about, San Pedro Bautista. Oh, yeah, just a minute. Oh, so sorry. In 1593, there was a threat of war between Japan to the Philippines. Japan wanted to attack the Philippines. And so the governor general, still Santiago de Vera, he appointed Pedro Bautista to go and negotiate. 
in Japan. Because in the Philippines, the Franciscans were already with the Japanese also. They, they were already in the Philippines. They have a Japanese community in the Philippines that is in Paco, Manila. Paco, Manila, which they have there a community of Japanese. And so where Paco Church was, that was already part of what was built also by the Franciscans all the way to Santa Ana. Santa Ana Church was the first parish outside of Intramuros. It is, of course, Franciscan parish. No? And so Pedro Bautista went to, to Japan in 1593. And there, of course, he negotiated. He explained that, of course, the, the, the Spaniards in, 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 in the Philippines are not a threat to Japan and everything else. And that was somehow accepted. And then he started evangelizing in Japan. And evangelizing in Japan, the Japanese priests did not like that because he was gaining converts. And therefore, they persecuted the Christians there, the Catholics. And in 1597, Pedro Bautista, with his group of friars, three or four others, together with the Japanese Catholics, they were all martyred in Nagasaki on February 6, 1597. I think this is about uh, the the time, the, the, and th this context was uh, the backdrop of that movie, Silence. That's exactly true. All right, I, I was I was going to bring up Father earlier that point that when when we talk about saints here in the Philippines, or we 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 there are only two Filipinos, uh, of course, San Lorenzo Ruiz and San Pedro Calungsod. But I and, and and and. We only have two Filipino saints, and they were made in Japan. Well, that's right. <laughs> I wanted to bring up, however, that there were also saints who, although their work, that the, the work that led them to sainthood was not necessarily in the Philippines, but they did spend time, and they did serve here in the Philippines as well. Yes, and yes. I suppose the first one, if my reading serves me right, the first one was San Pedro Bautista. Am I right, mm -hmm. Father? That's true. That's true. We have actually, uh, I did not bring all my notes, but we have about uh, 21 saints from, that, from the Franciscan group. Most of them were martyrs. And part of them also were those who were killed during the Spanish-American War, uh, the Span uh, Spanish Civil War. Because they were, we were still actually part of, of the Spanish groups at the time, although they were already in Spain. No? But yes, we were more than San Pedro Bautista. And by the way, San Pedro Bautista was appointed first bishop of Naga, Nueva Cáceres. And the appointment as bishop came while he was already in Japan. Travel in those days, it takes about a year for the documents to travel. And so when the document arrived in the Philippines, appointing Pedro Bautista Bishop of Naga, he was already in Japan. So he did not come back. So someday when you go to Naga in the Palacio of uh, the Archbishop, the, the picture of Pedro Bautista is the very first number one in the, in, the, in the lineup of the Archbishops in the Palacio of the Archbishop. But he never took... Uh, took uh, uh, how do you call that? He was consec consecrated there because he was already in Japan. 
So in, in a sense, Father, I mean, you know, I hope it's not stretching it, but in a sense, the Philippines can claim San Pedro Bautista as, as its own. He did spend a lot of, I think he spent most of his years as a priest here. Yes, yes. Exactly, exactly. But at that time, you know, we can also claim him as our saint. In fact, he is the patron saint of, us, of uh, ambassadors because he was sent as an ambassador to Japan. And uh, that's why our village in Forbes, the San, San, uh, San Dasmariñas village, he was, uh, because of that, he is the patron saint in that village because uh, Dasmariñas was the one who sent him to Japan, Governor Dasmariñas, not, not uh, as I mentioned earlier, the Vera Dasmariñas, yes. Father, moving to the present, where in the Philippines are the Franciscans now? Okay. So first of all, the Alcantarines are gone. Okay. So in 1897, Pope Leo XIII decided to merge, group together all these different groups of Franciscans scattered in Europe, including the Alcantarines. And so we, we had to renounce our habit, the, the color of the Alcantarines, the first Franciscans who came here was gray, blue-gray, not brown like I have. It was a blue-gray habit that they were using until, until um, 1897 when Pope Leo XIII decided to, to put them all together as one group, OFM. The OFM was born then. And so today, our Franciscans today, are divided into two groups, the province of San Pedro Bautista, where you contacted them first to have this interview. And then the second group that was only organized in 2007 for Visayas and Mindanao. So we have the first group that was, became a province in, 18, in sorry, 1983. And that is of course, a continuation of the group of 1587, because they remained in Luzon, no? And we separated, before we separated, the whole Philippines also was under, we had, we had uh, churches all over. But after the Second World War, after the Second World War, many bishops asked other Franciscan groups to come and help. So there were already Italian Franciscans who came to Cagayan in the north. They had churches there already they built after the Second World War. And then the American Franciscans from Wisconsin, from Cincinnati, Ohio, and from California. Three groups of American Franciscans came. The ones from California were in Negros Oriental. The one in, from Ohio, they worked in Leyte and Biliran Island. And the one from uh, Wisconsin, they worked in summer. So they continued the legacy of the Franciscans in summer and they built you know, more churches and schools and so forth. And the others did the same. We have also Franciscan schools in Negros and, and summer. And of course you're in Cebu right now. Yes, I'm in Cebu right now. <laughs> okay, and, 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 and you have a parish there. Yeah, the parish here. And we have this house of the, of the, like in the Manila where the provincial lives. Here I am with the, with the Custos. Uh, it's equivalent to a provincial 
with the only exception that his term is three years, while the provincial has six years. And we have here also our retirement home in another town of Cebu. I then we have, mm, yes, we are also in, in Basilan. We have two parishes. And then we are in Davao. We are in Kidapawan. We are in Balui. We are with the work of dialogue with the Muslims and the indigenous peoples. And of course, we have a few other activities there, particularly helping the Lumads, the indigenous peoples, through, through mission, mission uh, activities, um, medical, medical missions, and all kinds of other activities like scholarships, and so on. Father, the Franciscans were recently in the news because of an aborted move to rename San Francisco del Monte Avenue. Please tell us about your history in the Quezon City area and that of the Basilica Minore de Santuario de San Pedro Bautista. Okay, so first of all, the whole area was called San Francisco del Monte. Of course, Monte because there's a mountain there, no, a, a elevation at least. This was San Francisco del Monte to distinguish it from San Francisco de Intramuros. Okay. And so San Francisco del Monte was started by San Pedro Bautista in 1590. They would go by boat through the Pasig River and then the branch, the branch of Pasig River to San Juan and all the way to San Francisco del Monte. The river is no longer um, used, of course, because of, we have already the roads, but we are talking here of the 1500s when the roads were not yet existing. And so they come by river, by boat, to San Francisco del Monte. And as I mentioned, the whole area and then developments came and the road that is named Del Monte Avenue was built only in the, um, after the Second World War, after the Second World War. And it happened that around that area was, is the, uh, Del Monte Avenue is the um, studio of J. FPJ. In fact, his house is not very far from the church of San Francisco, San Pedro Bautista. And I remember when I was a, a seminarian there, they would have a shooting in our compound because our compound was still very rural. We still have little hills, little caves over there. And you have this, remember this movie, Anakni Pararis, where the FPJ was the, the, uh, the hero. Palaris was his dad. They have a movie of Palaris, and it is. Uh, and then they have the movie Anaknipal. And of course, if PJ uh, was uh, the actor at the time, he was uh, probably in his late teens or early twenties. And uh, they had the shooting there in our seminary in our area, and uh, so we, we have quite a close connection with them. And so now Senator Lapid wanted to name. Uh, Del Monte Avenue, FPJ Avenue, because the, 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 the studio or the, yes, the movie studio of FPJ is in Del Monte Avenue. And uh, so the, the, the friars in uh, Del Monte in, in San Pedro Bautista, they wrote to Senator Lapid and to the mayor of Quezon City, um, Mayor Joy Belmonte, and to the bishop in Quezon City that, you know, Del Monte, the name Del Monte 
has historical and religious connotations for the pair, for Quezon City. And uh, they, they, they wrote uh, Senator Lapid. And fortunately, Senator Tito Soto uh, said that uh, it's better to leave uh, Del Monte alone and instead take Roosevelt Avenue, which is better and larger and longer to name that after FPJ. And Senator Lapid said he was favorable to the amendment. And I think it will be, he said they will, pre, they will, preserve, they will present this amendment in their pre plenary sometime, I don't know. So I think uh, uh, we won in this particular case because many, many people from Del Monte, which is the old, old Quezon City, uh, they, they were not in favor of the change of the name. No? because of that connection with the history and, and the religious history and cultural history of uh, Quezon City. And in a sense, Father, historically then, we could, could we actually say that, in a sense, Quezon City was founded by the Franciscans as well? Let us put it this way, that uh, the Franciscans brought Christianity to Quezon City. And in fact, in the coat of arms, of Bishop Ongtioko, we have he has at the very top of his of his coat of arms a mountain, the monte, and at the top of the mountain is the tau, the letter T, the tau, which is a symbol of the Franciscans. So that is very significant, and we are very grateful to the bishop for having that in his coat of arms. He is the first bishop of Cubao, and so that is the significance of that. He, he, they recognize that the first church in Quezon City is San Francisco del Monte, the All mother right. church. Perfect segue right now because we'll talk about the Basilica Minore di Santuario di San Pedro Bautista. Mm -hmm. Please tell us about that, Basilica Father. Okay, because of the significance of San Pedro Bautista to the evangelization of the Philippines, as I mentioned earlier, how he was in charge of Laguna and so on. And he went to Japan and he was martyred there. Then of course, the church there honors San Pedro Bautista. And the Holy Father, I think the, the parish priest, Father Ed, Edwin, uh, wrote a request, uh, probably through the nuncio, to declare this national shrine, national shrine in honor of San Pedro Bautista to be a minor basilica. Minor basilica would mean that it is owned already by the Vatican, practically, and we are administrators of the, of the church because, because of the title that was given to it. And so it was, it was the bishop, Ontioko of Cubao, our bishop, who went there and performed the seminary of proclaiming the church, the parish church of San Pedro Bautista, now as a minor basilica last September. Imagine this is, this is the time of COVID-19 when we are having all these blessings to our faith to make us stronger and more uh, faithful perhaps to our beliefs, yes. So I think that is basically it, the history how it was made a minor basilica. And, and how much of that minor basilica, because let, 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 let's, let's put that in historical perspective. Okay. The basilica, well, the, the the basilica started off as a chapel built by uh, well built during at the instance of uh, 
of uh, Pedro of San Pedro, Pedro Bautista, right? And this was back in the 16th century, the the 15 uh, well, when when 15, 1590, 1590, he settled there in the present San Pedro in present San Pedro Bautista area parish, and he built a little structure of a of a chapel in honor of the Blessed Mother again, and at the same time, you know, little structures where they could live. The chapel that is very old also, the old church is uh, probably 200 years old. And that was built, or 300, 1600s it was built. And, uh, you know, many movies were, were, were shot there when they want to shoot a movie of the Spanish times of the church. They would usually use that chapel, the church, the old church. I, I remember the movie Marcelino about uh, uh, an orphan that was adopted by Franciscan friars, uh, their convent, that was shot completely in, in our convent there because it had the, the atmosphere of an old church, old convent, and it was very, very proper. And so that was built. Later on, of course, the, the church was enlarged and uh, what, what it is now. There are many other minor basilicas in the Philippines, like uh, the one of... Um, the one in the north of the, um, mm, I forgot the name of Our Lady in, uh, in Pangasinan. What is uh, Manawag. Manawag. There's a minor basilica also. And also the Lourdes Church in, um, in Quezon City, I think, right. is a minor basilica as well. Although the image is, is crowned as a, especially by the Holy Father. And the other minor basilicas, we have a few in the Philippines. Okay, Father, if you, again, you know, after well, when the things hopefully settle down, when, when we get to, to travel a bit, if we're, if we're going to go to the minor basilica of, San, of the Satuar de San, de San Pedro Bautista, how much of what we're going to see or walk into there is from 1590? The only thing that will be there to see is the cave. Usually the, the tourists or pilgrims would go to the cave, which they have preserved, where Pedro Bautista would retire and do penance and do penitential practices. And of course, the present structure is, is already new, but it's still the, 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 the architecture is based on the old churches of the Franciscans. So in a way, it can still bring you back to that old times. And then around there, we also have the uh, area where uh, this, uh, the church that was the old convento is still very old. And then we have the place of the provincial where they have a museum under. That museum is worth visiting. The museum is, uh, is uh, composed of, uh, of course, what are in museums, the old, all the things, vestments, uh, churches, church uh, things that are used in churches that go back to the old Spanish times. So that is what can be seen in the museum. But they have to make a reservation or an appointment so that they can um, prepare the place a little. It's not usually visited that often. Then they also have there the archives. The archives have all this information that I shared with you. Because at that time, 
the Spaniards were very careful. I do not know if the other groups were doing the same. When they have their archives, they did not, they always made two copies, two copies of everything. One was kept in Intramuros and another was sent to Spain because Spain was the seminary of the missionaries before they come to the Philippines. And so even as seminarians in Spain, in preparation for coming to the Philippines, they would already have an idea of the Philippines by the archives there and by the another museum of the Philippines there in Spain that they have artifacts from the Philippines, uh, animals that have been preserved, uh, all kinds of things, butterflies, insects, they, they have sent there. And that's a very interesting study of what the Philippines was in Spanish times. But I would like to go back to another, the, the, the first hospital, Juan Clemente, 1580, they arrived in 1580, 1578, immediately the brother who was not a priest, who was not a, going to, to evangelize, he would stay and he would notice that many natives were sick. And they did, there was no, 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 but nothing, nobody there to help the natives. And so he would gather the natives and start that hospital that eventually became San Juan de Dios Hospital. And also later, another hospital, San Lazaro Hospital in San Palo. You can find a, 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 a Google of this, a, a, a diorama of this first hospital in the Ayala Museum. And you can Google this, you can see the, the, the diorama in the Google. When you Google Juan Clemente, you can find his work there. So that's another interest because the Franciscans have been interested with the sick people. The first leprosarium, again, is San Lazaro Hospital. Lepers. Lepers were very dear to Francis because they remind him, of, they remind them, the lepers remind them of, of, of the sufferings of Jesus. And that is why the passion of Christ is one of the pillars of the Franciscan spirituality. The passion, the nativity, the Belen started by us. And of course, the Eucharist, the three, the three foundations of the Franciscan spirituality. So they all brought, brought those in the Philippines when they came. The devotions of the creed, the Belen, the, the, the Semana Santa, and uh, the practices in the Franciscan parishes are very colorful because they wanted, they wanted these practices, these devotions to appeal to the, to, 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 to the senses that the people will see the beauty of the colors, the music. That's why they introduced music so much also, the singing. Well, in some other groups, probably not, not so much. Hmm. Father, I, I just, you know, I just wanted to ask, right? You, you came here, the Franciscans came here as, as missionaries. Right now, you know, 500 years later, more or less, hmm. you're, are you sending out missionaries from the Philippines to other parts of the world? If yes. you, where where are you? Where are the Franciscans coming from the Philippines? Where are they now serving abroad as well? Because that that, that brings this whole thing full circle, I suppose. Right, from right. Centers right. missionaries. We now are sending out missions all over the, the world. 
Mm -hmm. In fact, that is the theme of the uh, of the uh, of the centenary of the fifth centenary, you know, to missio agentes to send missionaries abroad. Okay, so we are uh, we are missionaries in Libya. We are in Libya. We used to have a big bigger Franciscan community there of Filipinos, uh, together with the Libyan uh, Franciscans, mostly from Italy and Poland. We are together there. We also have Franciscans in the Holy Land, Israel. They are working with the OFWs there, our Filipino, overseas Filipino workers. We have Franciscans also in, in uh, New Mexico, in South America, or America rather. And so they have their Franciscans also from the Philippines. We also have them in, um, in Sri Lanka, Filipino Franciscans. We also have them in, in uh, Thailand, we had in Thailand until he has retired recently. Then we have also in Japan, Franciscan missionaries. And they, of course, are because of the martyrdom of San Pedro Bautista there, they fit in very well. No? We, we never mentioned the poor Clares, Santa Clara. Remember that Maria Clara, the daughter of Padre Damaso, Padre Damaso was the biological father of Maria Clara. This is all symbolic for us. And except that the novels of Rizal has been used as history, not for what they represent, no? And anyway, the poor Clares was the first group of religious women to come to the Philippines, 1621, 1621. So when we celebrate 1521, 2021, 1621, they are celebrating also their fourth centenary in the Philippines, the Santa Clara sisters. You have them in Quezon City, no? in, in uh, Katipunan. They are from the old Intramuros convent that was destroyed in the Second World War. They are connected with us. They are our female counterparts. That is to underline the importance of prayer in mission work. Because these are contemplative sisters. They were not active. They were not going out to help in evangelizing, but the prayer inside their monastery energized and helped the missionaries in their work, in their active ministry. That is not considered much when we speak of the evangelization, the prayer, the prayer of the, those who are not in the active ministry have helped produce what we are today as Catholics, Christians. This is Undercover the Podcast with Ben Kimpo. Father, and, and just as we will bring this interview to a close, any message? Already, already no? <laughs> Any message <laughs> to okay. Filipino Catholics, Christians, as we count down to the quincentennial of the first Mass in the Philippines, as we count down to 500 years of Christianity in the Philippines? Yes. Okay, first of all, that, we, that they will not look at the Franciscans like Padre Damaso. Because when they see the Franciscans, they think of Padre Damaso. And of course, they do not think of what they have accomplished 300 years earlier. The first ones, as I mentioned, Juan de Placencia, Juan Bautista, Pedro Bautista, Juan Oliver, uh, Juan Clemente, and all these missionaries, uh, Laguna, Quezon, all the way Bicol and Samar. No? And so they should 
think of it that way and treasure the traditions that have been brought by the Franciscans, by the other missionaries, to think of the other missionaries. Sometimes our focus can be so, so limited, so narrow because of the media, because of the other groups that have come again. And so we, we lose sight of the richness of what colonization brought to us. Colonization is not a bad word, is not a bad word. When we speak of colonization, people think of how we have suffered under Spain, but that is not all. We also received the faith. We also received Christianity. And all these things that the, the missionaries built, the first hospital, the roads, the churches, everything, education, that's all started by the missionaries. And so we are a fools. And I was saying that, you know, our, our instead of, I think I mentioned this in my article, instead of just proclaiming it, the coming of Christianity, let us celebrate 1521 as the birthday, the birth of the Filipino nation, because it was the missionaries who brought the provinces together. They were separate independent kingdoms when the missionaries first came. And that's why they fought among themselves. But with the arrival of the missionaries, they were brought closer together, closer together. And so it was like the birth of the Filipino nation. And that is beautiful for us because the Filipino today, the Philippines today is really unique in the, in the family of nations how the Filipinos can adjust to any culture because of the many cultures that came to our lands in the course of our centuries. Not only the Spanish, but before the Spanish came, Islam, the Hindus, the Chinese, the Japanese, they all came before the Spaniards and they contributed to our language, to our culture. And then all of these have enriched the Filipino nation so that we can so really adjust to any culture. We can learn any language, any language so fast. Our tongue is so, is so pliable that you know, we can learn Japanese. They also go to Japan to go to Arab countries. In a matter of weeks, they can speak the language. And I have experience of this because I have been in Europe for many years. And, you know, traveling, they, they, they speak like natives. They speak like natives. And where did they learn that? Already from the experience of being adjustable to the many cultures that came to our country. And so these things are not considered. And so if we can enlarge our own view, our own, and not be so nationalistic only to what is here, what is... Actually, when we, we talk only of what is here, that is very limited, very limited. But if you have to accept, and all other cultures, all countries in the history of the world were colonized, Rome, Greece, Egypt, Middle East, they were colonized, colonized. And from the colonization, they gathered, they got the richness of what they are today. And so we have to enlarge our awareness, not think only of the negative, of the sufferings. All of those people suffered, Egypt and Greece and Rome and the Middle East and all the other countries that were colonized. They suffered in the process, but the colonization left 
something that enriched the original people, the original natives. So that is an aspect that sometimes we over, overlook or we downplay too much. But it is a connection. And that is actually the spirit of what Pope Francis is giving to the world, that we are brothers and sisters. We are one family. This is our world. This is our home. We are in here together. Do not discriminate about cultures or religions or anything. Work together to bring about peace. This is what Pope Francis in his latest encyclical, uh, Fratelli Tutti, which is based on the words of St. Francis. No? I wanted to tell this story in 1565 onwards and how the, the first days happened because in a sense, it brings us full circle right now na tayo naman yung called on to do to be the missionaries to the to the world diba right right and we do that through our OFWs exactly exactly diba yun yun yung yun yung fascinating thing and and that's why it tells and then right now talking to you just brings this whole thing together thank you you were mentioning something which you wanted to discuss i wanted to discuss the importance of prayer in evangelization. The method of uh, evangelizing was like the method of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ did not only preach. He cared for the whole person. He was healing the sick, forgiving sins, helping the people, and so on, right and left, multiplying bread. And so it was really a very holistic approach. And for us, that was what Francis wanted. Our, our evangelizing should be a holistic approach, not to focus on the evangelization or the preaching of the word. Because the context, you know, when Jesus gave the command, this is our problem. Jesus told us, go to the whole world and bring the good news to all creatures. But he was telling this to the apostles who have been with him for three years. He had formed them, he had instructed them with the Lord himself being the formator, being their instructor. They saw the miracles. They hear the words. So they were ready. But today, we, the missionaries, many of us have not been with the Lord that much. And so for us then, the first one, like what St. Francis was saying, the first one is, the first is prayer. Know the Lord. Because he is the one that you are going to proclaim. So know him through prayer, contemplation. Very important for the Alcantarines, this aspect. That's why they have San Francisco del Monte. And they were, that's why the natives were not threatened by the Alcantarines. Because they were poor. They, they knew that they were not after their gold or after their things, whatever, their, their properties. Because the, the, the missionaries themselves were living pure, uh, poor, poor lives. And so the, 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 the natives were attracted to so What kind of message is this? And so that, they, that attracted them. That's why our work was, was especially working with the sick people. Nobody else was taking care of the sick. And so the Franciscans came and said, oh, that's our work. We will do that. Exactly because the, the, the evangelization has to be holistic. Today, as Pope Francis says, we have to consider again the whole person, not just the spiritual aspect, not just this, 
And, you know, how can you preach the gospel to a hungry stomach, as they say? So we have to take care of the livelihood, as our missionaries did. Tell them how to plant better. Give them irrigation. Have their irrigation. The first water system in Manila was by us in 1882 with Felix Huertas. He took the water from Marikina River, brought this to a common place in San Palo, where you can still find this, the Carriedo, Carriedo Fountain. And from the Carriedo Fountain, the water would be spread out to the different parts of the city. This is in the 1800s. Manila was not so crowded yet. And so that was, people, the, the, we, we were concerned with things like that. Where are they going to get clean water? Where are they going to be get hospitals uh, for the doctor? And so that was, that was how we were. That was how we were, how we did it. I, I, I love that point that, you know, may, many of us nitpick dogma. Mm. We, we, we nitpick dogma and, and we split hairs over, over these things. But really, again, context and, and you know, holistic. Right. You know, right, 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 you cannot, right. That, that's exactly it. Yung context from, from, the, from the message sender, meaning to say that you cannot preach what you are not, you have not fully experienced. And context on the part of the receiver of the message, you cannot uh, preach or you can't evangelize a hungry stomach. Or a remember, remember, in the time of St. Francis, he went to a convent and he asked one brother, let us go to preach. He said, brother, yes, okay, I'll go with you. So they, they took their cowl, their hood, and they put their hood over their head, and they went around the town just quietly, slowly, walked around the town, and then they came back to the, to the convent. And then the brother said, brother Francis, are we not supposed to preach? And Francis said, we already did. We already did. So you preach by your life, by your activity, by the way you, you, you conduct yourself. And so they said, Pre preach always, sometimes use words. Wow. Wow. So you preach with your life. Very powerful stuff, Father. Grabe, no? Sobra. Too, too bad we cannot follow it, but okay na rin. We try our best. <laughs> By our best. Thank you very much, Father. This is Undercovered the Podcast with Ben Kimpo.